Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in St. John's Gospel, reading there in the fifth chapter, beginning at the first verse. After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, awaiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day, it is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, a sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends, in Christ Jesus. In spite of the paint smell, I hope that you are glad that you were here, that you had a comfortable night, that all of us rejoice that this is the Lord's Day and that we have an opportunity this morning to worship our God. As you heard me say, today is the 14th Sunday after Trinity, and the text that I just read tells of an incident that happened in Jerusalem. Jesus, when he began his ministry, had about an eight months ministry down in Judea, around Jerusalem. Then he went up into the province of Galilee and worked up there about four months. And it was at the end now of the first year of his ministry that there was a feast, evidently the Feast of Passover, that Jesus left Galilee, traveled about 100 miles back to Jerusalem, and then this incident happened here at about the end of the first year of his three-year ministry. And we are told that near the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem there was a pool that had the name of Bethesda, which means House of Mercy, and it was surrounded by five porches. Jesus went over to this pool of Bethesda, and we are told that in these five porches there were a number of sick people, the blind and the lame and those with withered limbs, and they were waiting for the stirring of the water, and that when the water stirred, they wanted to get into the water that they might be healed. And Jesus noticed that there was a man lying there who he found out had been ill for 38 years, evidently a man between 50 and 60 years of age, 
38 years of those, an impotent man, a paralyzed man. And Jesus turned to him and he said, would you like to be made whole? And the man complained. He said, sir, he said, whenever I get ready to get into the waters, when the waters are stirred up, he says, somebody gets in ahead of me. It seemed so hopeless and so futile to him. And then it was that Jesus turned to this man who had had an illness mind to now for 38 years, and that's a pretty long time. He turned to this man that had a very severe illness. It was a paralysis. He turned to this man who had an illness that is usually hopeless. You and I say, this thing is terminal. And he turned to him and he said, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And we are told that this man, 38 years with this infirmity, he immediately stood up, he was healed, and he rolled up his bed and he walked. You and I may say, here we are in the 20th century, 20 centuries removed from this incident back at the pool of Bethesda. What is Christ saying to you and me through this word this morning? Jesus is saying this to you and me as regards healing, as regards the healing of your body and mind. Jesus assures you and me that he has all the power, he has all the might, he has everything that it takes to heal you and me, regardless of the duration of your illness and mine, regardless of how severe and critical it may be, regardless of how hopeless it may be. Jesus assures you and me he's got the absolute power. He has that invincible power, that almighty power that is able to heal you and me regardless of anything. You and I in our Christian experience, we may say, preacher, that sounds good. But we may say to ourselves, I wish I could believe that. We may say in the illness that perhaps has come to you or to me, we may say this, I wish I could believe that he had all the power that he could heal any disease regardless of its duration, regardless of its severity, and regardless of its hopelessness. But we may say, if he has the power, pray God, why doesn't he use it? Where is it? How many of us this morning would say, I prayed on bended knee, and I begged and I pleaded, not only for myself or for loved ones, and where was that power? It didn't come. You say, I'm supposed to believe that when he said to that incurably old man, rise, take up thy bed and walk, that that man rose up and he walked, that he has all power, he's got invincible power to heal any disease that may come in your life and mine, body none. You mean I may say, if he had it, why doesn't he use it? We may also say, oh, I feel guilty in saying this to him. The reason he doesn't use it is he doesn't have it. How many of us feel that way this morning? If he had it, he'd use it. The only reason he doesn't use it, he doesn't have it. And yet again, as you and I see him standing at the pool of Bethesda, when he says, rise, take up thy bed and walk, that man immediately rose up and he took up his bed and he walked and he was healed. And all because Jesus says, I assure you that I've got all that it takes to heal you regardless of the nature of your illness, regardless of its duration, regardless of how hopeless it may seem, because Christ would assure you and me that he has demonstrated this omnipotent power of his and that he's demonstrating it today. 
And you and I may say, did he demonstrate that kind of power? And can I believe today as a 20th century Christian that he's demonstrating that kind of power today in my life? Jesus would assure you and me that he has demonstrated that kind of invincible power and that he's demonstrating today because in the first place Christ would assure you and me that when he was here on earth he did demonstrate this invincible power at Bethesda. Rather strange that even in the church today there are those who are saying, did Christ really perform miracles? Rather strange that men that call themselves theologians and men that call themselves preachers of the word are doubting whether these miracles actually happened, whether they were actually historic, and so we're hearing words like mythology, we're hearing words about myth, we're hearing that we must demythologize the scriptures. We are being told that when men wrote the scriptures, they wrote in a various style, and that these are simply illustrations. They are high-class fairy tales in order to let us know of the greatness of Jesus, but that as an historical fact that this didn't take place. I would like to say something. When you allowed me to be in Jerusalem, I wanted to see of this pool of Bethesda. As you know, in the year 70, Titus, the Roman emperor, destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and all of this was destroyed, that not one stone lay upon another. There were those who even doubted that there really was such a place as the pool of Bethesda. And when I was there, archaeologists, believing that there was, they went to the Sheep Gate, which now is called St. Stephen's Gate, and they began to dig. And may I assure you, it's an amazing thing, and if you ever get to Jerusalem, don't miss it to go over and find they have dug out of the centuries the dust and they have uncovered this pool of Bethesda and they have uncovered the five porches. I have pictures of them in order to assure you. And there it was. The Bible and the spade have worked hand in hand substantiating that there was a pool of Bethesda and it's going to be rebuilt when money can be raised and they have spent thousands and thousands of dollars in digging out the pool of Bethesda out of the ruins at the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem. This thing happened. Jesus went to this pool of Bethesda and he healed this man. And therefore, this was an historic fact. The Word of God says he did it. How could he? How can I believe in miracles? Men are saying, oh, he's a magician if you believe that. Because he was no less than God. I have no trouble believing in the miraculous. He stood at the pool of Bethesda and he said, Rise! And it mattered not that here was a disease of 38 long years. Here was a critical thing of paralysis. Here was a hopeless thing and the man stood up. Why? Because God talked to him. This was God the Son who came into the world. And he still demonstrates this invincible power in your life and mine in the 101 sicknesses that you and I have had where he has healed us. You know, it's rather strange. We think of a headache as being not amounting to much. We don't think about the power of Jesus in healing us with a little thing like a headache or with a little thing like a corn. But may I remind you, when does an illness become serious? I have laid to rest the little girl that died of a pimple in her nose. Calvin Coolidge's son died of a blister on his heel that he contacted when he was playing tennis. How about the hundred and hundreds of times in your life and mine? And what we may say were the little illnesses that healing came. We forget them. Jesus demonstrating his power, the invincible power to heal. 
And therefore we ought to say this, even in our 20th century, that I believe this, that when he stood at the pool of Bethesda and he said, Rise, take up thy bread and water, that he has everything it takes. He has all the invincible power that he needs in order to heal me, regardless of the duration or the severity or the hopelessness of my illness. And when you and I can believe that, let me tell you this, then we're never going to murmur. We're never going to complain. We're never going to look at him. And we're never going to blaspheme him when the illness comes that's stubborn. It just doesn't want to budge. Here's our problem, isn't it? When the one comes that doesn't want to go away, and we beg and we plead and we pray and it stays, and then we look at him if we don't believe that he has invincible power, and we say the reason you don't heal me is you can't. You don't have the power. We murmur. We complain and we think he's given us a dirty deal. And then the next step, when despondency and despair come, the next step is suicide, isn't it? How many, oh, they suffered ill health and they took their own lives. Why? May you and I watch in our life despair. May you and I watch ever turning against our Lord and murmuring and complaining and blaspheming and saying to him in ridicule, the reason you don't heal me in this stubborn illness is because you haven't got the power then we are dangerous and what a catastrophe to stand before him when did you and I as Christians ever get the idea that death is the end of man when did we ever sell ourselves on the idea that by taking our lives that we can bring an end to human sickness and disease to stand before your God and mine who said didn't I assure you that I had invincible power to heal and you and I to stand and say but I spit in your face I didn't want you I didn't believe it. Watch out in your Christian life and mine. When there comes into your life and mine a stubborn illness that won't go, that we can turn to him and say, he stood at Bethesda one day. He had invincible power, and I believe it. Then we're never going to murmur. We're never going to complain. We're never in despondency going to be tempted to cut off our own life and to stand before him with our own blood on our own soul. He stood at Bethesda that day. He picked out a man that had been ill for 38 years. It's a long time. It was an incurable thing. It was a hopeless thing. And he said to him, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And you and I, when he says to us this morning, I want you to know that I've got invincible power, that I can heal any disease that ever comes to you. And I don't care its duration. I don't care its severity. I don't care how critical it is. I don't care how hopeless it appears. And you and I may say, well, if you have it, why don't you do it? And he assures you and me that he demonstrated his power and he still demonstrates it because in the second place he assures us that when he was here on earth, he demonstrated this invincible power to heal and a perfect wisdom at Bethesda. You know, I think the thing we forget is we look at our Christ when illness comes, especially that stubborn one that won't budge. We look at him as being only a Christ of power. And that therefore it's an arbitrary thing that we call upon him that therefore since he has the power that he's always going to use it and it's an arbitrary thing. Did you ever stop to think that there were five porches of sick people here at Bethesda and you only heal one? Wonder why? Well, you and I could work up a pretty good sweat over that one, couldn't we? Why did he only heal one? Five porches full of sick people. Maybe we'd better stop and say we've got a Christ who not only has invincible power, but he has 
a perfect wisdom. You may say, I wonder why he only healed one. And the strange thing is he healed about the worst case there, 38 years, pretty long time. Paralysis, a man again, doomed to death. That's the one he picked, but he didn't heal the others. We may wonder, where is there any wisdom? Why did he do it? Well, we are told here in John's Gospel that why did he ever leave Galilee? Come on down and travel 100 miles at the Feast of the Passover. Why did he go over here to the Pool of Bethesda? At the end of his first year, why did he perform this miracle of healing? John tells us about this in his Gospel, that he came on to Jerusalem and he went over here and he again, he healed especially on the Sabbath day. He didn't break the Sabbath. God had never forbidden acts of mercy and kindness. He deliberately came and planned this thing to heal this man on the Sabbath day. When the man took up his bed and began to walk, the authority said, you're breaking the law. This is the rest day. You shouldn't work. And the man says, I don't know. But he says, the man that healed me said, take up your bed and walk, and that's what I'm doing. And they said, who was this fellow that told you that? And he man that was healed said, I don't know who it was, but he told me to take up my bed and walk. And then Jesus met this man later in the temple, and then we are told that later on the man went to the authority and said, I know who it is now, it was Jesus. What was the wisdom? The time had come and Christ wanted the authorities in Jerusalem to know about him. He was the Lord and the Christ that came into the world. And to get their attention, here was a miracle on the Sabbath. Jesus, they heard about him now, here was wisdom. Your Christ and mine doesn't arbitrarily throw power around without wisdom. And therefore he demonstrated an absolute invincible power and a perfect wisdom. This is the way he called attention to the Sanhedrin and to those in authority. Here is the Messiah. Here is Jesus of Nazareth. He coupled wisdom with perfect power. And therefore he demonstrates to you and me that he's got all the power it takes because in your life and mine, I don't care what kind of an illness comes. I don't care how hopeless it may be, what length and duration, and I don't care how severe it is. When you and I turn to him who is the God of all power and also a perfect wisdom, he either grants your request or gives you and me something better than illness. And you may say, wait a minute, preacher, what's better than hell? A lot of things. He promises to give us that which is best. It isn't just the case of simply arbitrarily using power. He studies your case in mind. And he says, what's best? I've got the power to heal this person, and I've got the power to withhold it. What's the best thing to do? And may I say, what is best? From his point of view, best is as regards your eternal welfare and mine. He looks first at heaven, and he says, what is best from the standpoint of heaven? That this person shall not miss it. What's the best thing that I do in this case? Here's where perfect wisdom comes. And that's why sometimes he says no. Because in the light of heaven it is best that he does. But he gives you and me something better, strength to bear it in peace and in patience. He draws you and me closer to him that we begin to appreciate more and more what we have in him. That you and I learn that we only live one day at a time. That we depend upon him and he begins to glow in your heart and mind. And our spiritual experience with him in this greatest of all fellowship, it becomes large, that our capacity grows. And oh, what witnesses we become for him. Have you ever realized that there may be somebody working in your world that you and I know who has never come to Jesus Christ and never will until you and I do the witnessing? And that perhaps it's going to take witnessing in your life and mine from illness. 
in order to win somebody for Jesus Christ. Is there anybody here this morning that wouldn't say it's worth it? If again illness shall come that in my witnessing and the way I accept this in love uh, that I may win some soul for Jesus Christ and win that soul from eternal death, I think we'd say it's worth it. You and I say if he had it, he'd use it. Don't forget he's got it and he always uses it and when he doesn't use it because it's something better. Because you and I grow in capacity. If we can just believe that today, that he, as he stood there again, as he stood there at Bethesda and he said, Rise, take up your bed and walk, and this happened, if you and I can believe that, that he's got invincible power, he's got everything that it takes, then in your Christian experience and mine, when illness comes, especially the stubborn kind that just doesn't budge, it just stays there and it bothers, then we ought to begin to probe and say to ourselves, Why? Rather interesting, when illness comes, we, when we're flat on our backs, we begin to say, why, O oh Lord, don't we? You may say, why was this fellow an infirm, impotent man for 38 years? We've got a very good hint. Jesus, again, when he healed him, Jesus simply lost himself in the crowd and later on found him in the temple. And he went to him and he said, I, I've healed you now, you're made whole. Watch that you don't sin. He said, let something worse come to you. What's he saying to him? He's saying, here, mister, 38 years you suffer for something you did. Watch out, puss off, that you don't do it anymore. There are some illnesses, when you and I say why, that we say we brought it on ourselves. Young friends, just a few words to you I know today. Oh, today, liberality in morality and in sexuality. You can say, we've got the pill. There's no longer any danger of pregnancy. And we can go out now. And we can live the way we want to live. And may I say that doctors are saying amongst you young folks that the venereal disease of immorality is growing by leaps and bounds. Blindness, sterility, locomotor ataxia, softening of the brain, children that come into the world with minds that are warped because of immorality and promiscuity. There are diseases, young friends, that come from immorality. You bring it on yourself. Excessive smoking, we are being told. What's it doing? Cancer of the lungs and emphysema. Excessive drinking with, again, hardening of the liver. And dope and smoking pot. Yes, and mash. And the acid, what it's bringing on young folks. Listen, young friends, be not deceived whatsoever a man sows, well, that shall he also reap. Will you just believe me this morning? I'm not an old fogey, but I'm just telling you uh, that again. A lot of people are telling you some things that aren't true. And I'm trying to tell you a few things that are. Then we can say to ourselves, if I brought it on myself, then I ought to repent. This man brought it on himself. Evidently, it was immoral living, and he brought paralysis, and Jesus told him, watch out that you don't go out and sin deliberately. If what we have we brought on ourselves because we have left Jesus Christ, let's repent. And that again, he can bless us. Then again, there comes in your Christian life and mine, because we live in a sinful world, there can come any illness that can come to anybody else. You and I, because it's an imperfect world, we can have anything come to our bodies, barring none. Any kind. Of, we never judge a man's spirituality by the severity of his illness. 
And when it comes and you and I have lived faithfully in Christ and we have been in grace and we have not turned our backs on him, then we can say, Lord, I didn't bring it on myself, but in love you brought it and refined me and used me and let it accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. The refiner, you know, when he finds his gold nuggets and he puts them in the vessel, puts them in the bucket and he starts the fire underneath and he boils the gold and the dross and he keeps on boiling and he blows the smoke away until finally as he looks at the molten gold on top when he can see his image, his reflection, then he knows that it has been boiled enough. When Jesus corrects you and me with illness in love and when he can see his image in your life and mine, that we are beginning to look like him and he can see his image, then again we can thank him because that's the joy that he would bring in your life and mine. That's the way he refines you. and he, he knocks off the sharp edges, you know, and this is the great way in which he does it in love. He corrects us all. And therefore, again, we can accept it in joy. Jesus, again, he stood there at the pool of Bethesda and he said, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And he assures you and me in this enlightened and this, again, intelligent 20th century that he has all power, everything that it takes to heal regardless of the duration, regardless of the severity, and regardless, again, of the hopelessness of your disease and mine. And we may say, then pray, God, why don't you use it? If you have the power, why don't we see it? And he assures you, I mean, I did demonstrate it when I was on earth, and I'm demonstrating it today, because in the third place, he assures you and me that when he was here on earth, he demonstrated this tremendous power in a grand and glorious way at Calvary. Did you ever see his power at Calvary? You and I stand at the cross and say, God's Son was there, and what power we see of love. Here was love at its greatest. God's Son came from heaven, born of the Virgin Mary without sin, and he died and bore hell and damnation for you and me and our stead on the cross. The power of love. We stand there and we say, what tremendous love. And then we see the omnipotence. He arose again from the dead. We say to ourselves, that's the greatest miracle that even God could perform, barring none. God's Son raised himself from the grave. This is invincible power against Satan and the forces of hell. He who died arose again. He demonstrated this tremendous invincible power at Calvary. And when you and I can drink it in and we say, there is my Savior, there is my God, who provided something far greater than, again, the removal of illness, because illness at its worst for the Christian is only temporary. And then he continues to demonstrate it, because as the living one, he's preserving his church against the gates of hell. And he says, I'm coming again, and I'm going to create new heavens and new earth. If you want to see my power, wait till the last day. And I'll raise your bodies from the dead, and I will give you heaven and eternal life and no tears shall ever again touch your body. You talk about power. When he assures us he stood there at the pool of Bethesda that day, it was tremendous invincible power, and because he lives as the Son of God, he's coming again. We've got a lot to see. The old heavens and the earth are going to be destroyed by fire. Be new heavens and there'll be new earth. And your body and mine coming out of the ground, wherever our ashes may be at his call, put on incorruptible, glorified bodies, so shall we ever be with him where I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. 
and that you and I should stand and that we should say in weakness of faith, uh, when there comes a stubborn illness in your life and mind, uh, oh, if you had the power, pray, God, why don't you use it? And the reason you don't use it is you don't have it. When Jesus demonstrates his church, he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail. We look out on troubles and times, and you've heard the radio this morning of the upsets in our country, and again, policemen being killed, and we say, oh, God, what's coming? But the church of Jesus Christ, it goes on. No, hell is not going to destroy. He's the living, powerful. His church shall go on. There shall be believers to the end of time. And he's coming again. When you and I can believe that, then again, when that stubborn illness comes that just won't budge, we ought to turn to him in prayer and in confidence, use the means that he's given, medicine and surgery, those are his blessings, and then await some surprises. Rather strange, this is growing up in the church too. There are some Christians who have the idea that if you have a strong enough faith, you can simply pass over some of the blessings that Jesus has given, such as medicine and surgery. Bear in mind, the aspirin tablet can ease pain because Christ, as God, put that property in aspirin. We've only discovered it. We didn't put it there. No one heals a body. He heals the body. In the antibiotics, those molds that are able to, again, stop infection, and stop all manner of bacillus and germs. That property put there was put there by God. We've only discovered these things. Just as when we hear about Christ, he has the means through the word, through baptism and the Lord's Supper, he has given us means whereby he also uses this power. The danger is that if you and I say, I'm going to make him heal me without reverting to medicine, without reverting to surgery, that in case healing doesn't come, then there is this. When I meet people like this, it's pretty, pretty touchy. And they say, well, if I didn't have faith enough to heal me, do I have faith enough to save me? Watch out. You better not again. If I was on a desert island and I had a bad appendicitis and in absolutely no connection with any doctor, I sure believe that Christ has the power to heal. But when I'm in a place where I can go to a doctor, I expect him, and he wants me to go use a doctor and he wants me to have surgery. This is the way he also works. These are blessings from him. And then await some surprises. Do you ever see any surprises in this thing? When I walk into a hospital and I pray with a patient, are there any surprises? Let me tell you, there are plenty. I'd like to mention to you about my sister, and it comes to mind about this time because I had two sisters, one both older than I, one is dead, the red died of cancer. I have an older sister, Marie, and she went to the hospital when she went, she had been hemorrhaging greatly and for a hysterectomy and everything looked fine. And it so happened there in East St. Louis, the doctors, rather a strange coincidence, her doctor happens to be a classmate of our Dr. Tom Quilder here in Marion. And this doctor in East St. Louis happens to have married a Marion girl, which again, it's a small world. But when my sister was opened up, they sewed her back again and did nothing because it was cancer and it had metastasized. She doesn't know it, and I don't think you'll tell her. But they gave her six months to live. My phone rang, and my brother-in-law called, and this was it. But again, you see, you don't give up so easily because we've got a Christ that stood at Gethsemane, again, who knew what pain was and who, again, prayed, and God again heard. And we know that when he stood also at Bethesda, he manifested a tremendous power. Well... You see, it's rather strange. I think of it because when Thanksgiving comes, and that soon, it's going to be six years 
since that operation took place. They gave her six months. She's still alive and she's rather weak, but she works in the church in her own witness. And again, still she doesn't know, but hasn't been in bed very often, but there are some tremendous surprises that come because Christ assures you and me he's got everything he takes. He surprises us because when it's his will to let you and me live, believe you and me, we're going to live till we fulfill the plan and purpose of our life. Another thing is Bethesda means something in my life because after my sophomore year in college, I, I lay in a hospital by the name of Bethesda. It was out on South Grand Avenue in the city of St. Louis. I'd had a stone in my kidney. In my life, I wanted to serve my fellow man. It was always a question whether it was going to be in the ministry, whether it was going to be in medicine. But I remember lying on a bed in Bethesda Hospital in St. Louis when a stubborn kidney stone seemingly destroyed my left kidney. The doctor told me, he said, there's a great possibility that you've lost a kidney. And God and I, we spent a night together in Bethesda. Well, I didn't bargain with him. I didn't say when I did that night that it was going to be the ministry provided. No, but it was certain to me that this is what he wanted for me in the ministry. But I did say to him, if it's your will, I'd like to have both kidneys. I'd like to be well. Perhaps I could serve you better if it's your will. And it was an amazing surprise that when it was all over, I came out with a kidney that I still have that is still functioning very, very well. And may I just assure you of this, that Jesus Christ has all the power that it takes to heal you and me. I don't care what it is that comes. But we can gladly surrender to his will, even though it may, and sometime it's going to be his will, that we see heaven through a tear. You know, we, we've got to see heaven through a tear because that's when it's beautiful, isn't it? Until you see it through a tear. When you can see heaven through a tear and then it, it glows and it's bright and it's beautiful. And that time may come when that stubborn illness comes that won't go away. But oh, when he lets us see heaven through a tear, then we say, it's all right, Lord. I hope that you and I can walk the glory road this morning. And we can say he's got everything that it takes. I'll never doubt it for a moment. I don't care what comes to me in illness. I don't care what its duration. I don't care how severe it is. I don't care how hopeless. He's got the power. He demonstrated it when he was here on earth. And he demonstrates it every day in my life. And let's walk the glory road. And let, let's sing it with joy, my Jesus, as thou wilt. Oh, may thy will be mine. Into thy hand of love I would my all resign. Through sorrow or through joy, conduct me as thine own and help me still to say, my Lord, thy will be done. His will. It's best. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.